2: Welcome to the show. It's Friday. For us, it feels like a day off because everybody's gone and the church is closed uh, before our women's retreat. Um, please keep praying and thank you for your prayers. Uh, but you're listening to The Word to Stand Them for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. This is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or questions about life. Anything that's on your heart, I'll do the best I can to provide biblical answers for them. All you have to do is call us by dialing 210 Ninety-five eighty-five. That's three four zero ninety-five eighty-five. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at eight seven seven six three zero kslr kslr That's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at CalvarySA.com. or you can send the questions in using our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call us use the free kslr mobile app you can use the hands free all you have to do is hit the banner it says call now you'll be connected directly to our studio producer so one more time 340-9585 whenever things are are off schedule i feel lost i don't know whether it feels like monday again to me i don't know Um, but a couple of of programming notes uh, as it relates for our church we will not be having church tonight Um, When it's our men's retreats, or women's retreats, we always cancel because we're, um, well, men, we're helpless without our wives. But uh, um, so no church tonight. Please don't forget that for those of you who are listening and are coming. Uh, or thinking about coming, we will not be having a service tonight. We will have our normal three services on Sunday. We always like the Sunday when the ladies come back from the retreat because they're all excited. Um, Our all-ladies worship team will be doing the worship um, Sunday here as they did uh, at the retreat. Um, But we'd love to have you come and join us. Um, One other, just a quick reminder, we turn our clocks forward. We lose an hour of sleep um, this Sunday, so tomorrow on Saturday, turn your clocks forward so you don't forget. Uh, we have our biannual pancake breakfast. Every time we change clocks backward or forward, we have a pancake breakfast so that the people who don't change their clocks and get here either early or late, depending on which time it is, well, they have something to do, and it's become quite a tradition here. You are more than welcome. We'll be serving pancakes from about 7:45 until uh, just before second service starts at about 10.10. 10. So all of that's what's going on here. Uh, wherever you're going to church this weekend, go to be used by the Lord. Um, it's life changing. I know I said this already. Thank you for pay- praying for our ladies. Uh, we've gotten some emails that people are praying. So far everything is going great. I talked with Paula last night. I haven't talked to her today yet, but I uh, talked with her last night and And uh, things were going well, and they were thrilled that the weather was good. So uh, keep them in prayer. Friday night is usually sort of the culmination of it all uh, with an afterglow service. And uh, I'm excited to see what the Lord will do. With all of that having been said, let me get to some questions that have been sent in uh, while we wait for your phone calls. Darlene wants to know, why don't churches do foot washing services since Jesus said we should? Uh, Darlene, sometimes um, churches do, we do, on occasion. Uh, I I happen to know that one of the ministries at our women's retreat uh, this weekend will be a foot-washing portion of of, uh, all the activities. And it's always a huge thing. And uh, I I don't know if you've ever ever been in a foot-washing service, Darlene, but it's not the people washing the feet. Um, You know, it's not God saying, Oh, you guys are doing so good. Uh, It's the people whose feet are being washed. It is so humbling. And we will see uh, tonight ladies um, will fall apart, crying, God breaking their heart as their feet are being washed. And usually those lines are very, very long. So we have done that at our women's retreats. We have had a couple of foot washing services. Um, We always do one when we teach on the uh, portion of Scripture out of John chapter 13. Um, The reason most churches don't do it is because Jesus was speaking figuratively. Now, he really literally washed the feet of his disciples, those who would be apostles. Not only that, but the way they were seated around that table in the upper room, uh, it it would have been uh, um, Judas who was first in washing, in having his feet washed by the Lord. Uh, And Jesus said, you've seen me do this, you then ought to do what I have done for you. And he wasn't being literal. He was using that as an example of serving. This is the reason that we're in this world. Have you ever wondered, Darlene, uh, why Jesus didn't just take us to be to heaven with him as as soon as we got saved? Well, it's because there's work to do. And we're here to serve. And when we serve those who are lost and hurting and hungry and broken and needy and confused... That's what we're doing, and, and I think a lot of churches, even those that don't have literal foot-washing ceremonies in their church from time to time, um, I, I think every church uh, this coming Sunday, uh, there'll be a whole lot of figurative foot-washing going on, and that's what Jesus meant to do. He who was God washed the feet, first of his betrayer, and then of others. So it's not a commandment to do it, Uh, The only two sacraments that we have, um, Darlene in the New Testament, are baptism and um, uh, communion. And we have those. uh, They were spoken of by Jesus. They were practiced in the book of Acts. And we have validating teaching uh, in the epistles of those things. That's what establishes a sacrament, that we're to do something literally, and that's what we do. So thank you for the question. Uh, here's a tough question from Wayne. He says, Pastor do you think the doctrine of total depravity explains why our world is the way it is and how it's become that way so quickly? Wayne, let me say a couple of things before I go directly into the, the question of doctrine. Uh, it seems to us as we live in this world and we see things changing so quickly, like this has got to be the worst time in the history of the world. It's not. I promise you, if we were alive in the first century uh, and were in the city of Corinth while the Apostle Paul was establishing the the churches of the Corinthians there, I think we would look around and we would say, oh my goodness, things have never been this bad. Jesus has got to come quickly. Uh, um, Things were much worse then than they are now. I think if if any of you saw the movie uh, last year on the Apostle Paul, they did a pretty good job of, of portraying the brutality, the violence of what it was like to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. Things were just absolutely horrible. And of course, in our country, we don't have those kinds of issues here, at least not yet. And so I think we've got to resist, Wayne, the, the tendency to think things are worse than they've ever been. Um, again, Paul and the others thought Jesus was coming back at any moment. Uh, we believe Jesus is coming back at any moment, but because he's patient and willing that any should perish, he delays his coming. So I think we have to be very careful. You know, when I grew up, not Wayne, the, the culture was dominated the church culture um, that I wasn't a part of. I want to be very, very clear about that. Uh, but the church culture was dominated by the Jesus movement, you know. When when hippies, drug addicts, and and uh, people whose minds didn't function because of of drugs and especially psychedelic drugs, um, when the Holy Spirit began to move on those people, it, it came at a time when the, the the church proper was saying things like, "It's never been this bad." Jesus, you've got to come back. Um, so we have to be intellectually honest about how bad things are. Now, things are pretty bad, but they've always been bad because there is a world that's rejected Jesus Christ. Now, relative to your question about the doctrine of total depravity, this is a Calvinist idea that, that uh, well, see, Calvinists are right because they have this doctrine of total depravity that proves that things are going to get so bad they're going to slide in the gutter. It has nothing to do with total depravity. It has everything to do with our sin nature truth, Wayne, is that we like our sin nature. We like to sin. The reason most people reject Jesus Christ has nothing to do with ideological or intellectual or even theological problems with the concept of a God. They don't accept Jesus Christ because they don't want to stop sinning. And if you don't want to stop sinning, you keep sinning, then you have to rationalize uh, a, a way out of of, of being cast into hell forever and ever. So then everything sort of gets distorted. But the doctrine of total depravity doesn't have anything to do with in Second Timothy chapter 3, Wayne. And and uh, Second Timothy is the most personal of all Paul's letters. Um, the Lord has made it clear to him as he writes that letter that his time is very, very short. He's soon going to have his head cut off uh, under the orders of, of uh, Caesar Nero. Um... Paul was in jail, in prison, Mamertine. And he would look around at the condition of things. And writing to Timothy with sort of the word from the grave, the most important thing somebody has to say, they say just before they're going to die if they know it. And he said, Timothy, mark this, in the last days, and I'm going to paraphrase here because I think it'll help us understand it, in the last days things are going to get much worse people will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. They'll be brutal, they'll be violent, inherently sinful. And we're in those last days, Wayne. So our problem isn't the doctrine of total depravity. Our problem is that we like to sin and we don't want to stop. And the farther you go down that rabbit hole, the more dire things are going to be. So... Um, I don't know, Wayne, if somebody's trying to convince you to become a Calvinist, or if you are one, but uh, Calvinism's got lots and lots of flaws. If you would look at the Bible, read it for what it says, I think you'll find that Calvinism is not a doctrine that is consistent with the nature and the character of God. 3409585, here's a question from Bruce. I haven't had this question for a while, Bruce. It says, do you believe, Hebrews 6 says that we can lose our salvation it's a scary verse let me read hebrews 6 and the the verse he's talking about is verse 4 and i'll read the verse uh verse 4 and 5 i shall read 4 5 and 6 it says it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift who've shared in the holy spirit who have tested the goodness of the word of god and the powers of the coming age if they fall away to be brought back to repentance. In other words, it's impossible to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Uh, Bruce, that verse has scared so many people for so long and it really is unnecessary. So no, it doesn't um, say anything about uh, losing our salvation uh, it doesn't. Uh, it's not intended to frighten. In fact, when it was written, it was intended to encourage and to edify. Now, let me explain what was going on throughout the book of Hebrews. Now, there's six warnings in the book of Hebrews, and and the warnings run from the second chapter through the end. And the warnings are written by the Holy Spirit of God to encourage a group of people that I believe the author was the Apostle Paul. And and Paul was writing to them to encourage them to stand firm. Now, we know some things. If you read throughout the book of Hebrews, you can, you can pick out the places that describe the things that were going on at the time of writing. We know this was a church of Jews who were converts to Christianity back in the first century when Hebrews was written. Um, if a Jew left Judaism, his family disowned him, or her, and they were completely out. They had to trust God on their own. Other Jews would provide persecution and all kinds of things. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, it says that one time they joyfully accepted even the confiscation of their personal property. Now, that, that's a vigorous Christian church. They knew they were being persecuted. They would have known, Jesus said, if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, You'll be happy, you'll be blessed. And so they would do it. But then after the years wear on, Bruce, and the church is suffering more and more persecution and things are getting harder. And now because they live in a in a Jewish culture, they can't participate in the in in the work economy, uh, because they can't go to the temple or the, the outer courts of the temple. They can't participate with their own families because they've been cast out of the families and certainly they can't participate in the Jewish religious culture at all. And so they just feel stranded. Now, at first, when you're first saved, that feels, okay, I'm ready to do this with you, Jesus, because we're so excited, we're so passionate for God. But after a while, they were beginning to be worn down. Other Jews were communicating to them that all they had to do to stop the persecution is to renounce Christ and return to Judaism so that's the the foundation upon which all six of the warnings in Hebrews are written and what Paul is saying in Hebrews chapter 6 is simply that if you return to the Jewish sacrificial system what are you going to do about sin? You've heard and believed that Jesus is the only answer for sin. You've been there when you've seen the power of God. You've seen the power of the Holy Spirit. That's verse 4. You've tasted, verse 5, the goodness of the Word of God. You've been taught about the powers of the coming age. And then he says in verse 6, if you fall away from that, I can be brought back to repentance without the shedding of blood. There's no remission of sins, no forgiveness of sins and to go back to the Jewish sacrificial system which is what they're being warned against here it's going to result in them being shut out of heaven because Jesus is the only way so we have to read the context into every single chapter in the book of Hebrews and by the way Bruce, I'm studying in Hebrews on Friday nights now, we won't have one tonight of course because of our women's retreat Uh, But we are in the book of Hebrews, I think I'm going to be starting, I'm still in chapter four, um, um, a week from tonight, Uh, and, and, and I'm constantly reminding our church of the context of the suffering, the temptation to return, sometimes we all get tired of the trials, we get tired of being tested, it takes time to make us over in the image of our God. Sometimes we get tired and we return back to a world and we feel so lost. But what he's telling these Jews is if you go back to Judaism, how can your sins be forgiven? And of course what that would mean is that they are not Christians who lost their salvation. They were people who maybe had an emotional excitement about Jesus but didn't really get saved. I also want to point you out to to verse 9 in this chapter. I told you this was encouraging. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 9, Paul, after he goes through that warning, he says, even though we speak like this dear friends, we're confident, confident of better things in your case things that accompany salvation. And then he encourages them one step farther. He says, God's not unjust. He'll not forget your work and the love you've shown him. as You've helped his people and continue to help them. In other words, hang in there. That's what he's telling them. It's an important message for all of us. I don't know why it is, Bruce, but it's always been this way. I've been saved 28 years. Um, It's hard for people to sustain over a period of time. That zeal for the Lord, that's why in Romans 15, Paul reminds them, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I think sometimes we lose our way and we lose a little bit of hope because we're trying to serve God in our own strength. We're trying to endure and persevere to the end in our own strength instead of doing it in the strength of the Lord. So I hope that helps you, Bruce. You don't have to worry about your salvation. Three four zero ninety five eighty five 9585 Fair live calls and questions. We'd love to have them to close out the week. A little over five minutes left in this half of the program. Adam wants to know, are the gifts of the Spirit for today? Uh, Adam, they are. Now, we have to make a distinction between sign gifts and the gifts given. If you go through the book of uh, Romans and then 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Uh, Romans chapter 12 um, there's a discussion about the gifts that God has given uh, to individuals in the church if you go to Ephesians chapter 4 there are there's a description of gifts given to the church um, uh, apostles prophets uh, evangelists pastors and and teachers Um, but but the gifts of the Spirit given individually are all of them for today for example I have, uh, I hope, pray, the gift of teaching. And um, that's a gift that I use daily in my ministry. It's a gift that people use when they're counseling, Christians use when they're counseling. So, yes, those gifts are for today. Now, the sign gifts are a little bit different. Um, When the Holy Spirit made his entrance into the world, uh, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, there were signs a mighty rushing wind, cloven tongues of fire, and then everybody spoke in unknown tongues. And they heard them declaring the, the glory of God. Um, that sign gift won't be repeated. Unfortunately, we can go into some churches that are out of control and, and misunderstand and misuse the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of tongues. And you see everybody speaking in tongues at once. That's a violation of what the Bible tells us in terms of how to use those gifts decently and in order and we're given very specific rules for using the gift of tongues. So the sign gifts, the gifts that Jesus used when he was walking on this earth, it was a sign that the Messiah had come. The apostles were given the power to perform validating signs and wonders. But if you have to study your Bibles and pay attention to the words. Many miracles were performed, Acts says, by the apostles. Not by everybody. And we try to say, well, they're believers, I'm believers, so we can do So the sign gifts are still not for today. Now, there is the gift of tongues. It's different than the sign gift. It's a personal gift. It's a great gift. But the sign gifts are not for today. But all of the other gifts, Adam, are for use today to build up. Strengthen the body of Christ. Uh, individually, especially the gift of tongues is to edify your walk. It's a I call it the only real vertical, only vertical gift. It's it's when you're speaking in tongues, a man doesn't talk to men, but he talks to God. A woman talks to God. So yes, the gifts of the Spirit are for today. And if we want to know how they're to be used, why we're, not, why we're not raising people from the dead and slapping people and making them fall over and stuff. Those are phony sign gifts that, that you see around. And uh, I, think, um, I, I think we all know that instinctively. We try to convince ourselves that they're good. Uh, this Sunday, there'll be a whole bunch of people that go to churches where they will dance in the aisles and they will speak in tongues all at the same time. And there will be people that to be prophets and others who claim to be apostles. All of that, Adam, is nonsense. But the gifts of the Spirit, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, Jesus said. So be filled with the Spirit, walk in the power of the Spirit, and exercise the gifts that God has given you uh, for for his glory. uh, And do so regularly, it's a great thing. Here's an anonymous question, probably my last one for this half of the program. Uh, I'm not a Christian, but I am interested in a girl who is. How can I ask her out? Well, if she's a Christian who understands her Bible at all, if you asked her out, she would say, no, I'm not going to date anybody who's not a Christian. So my question to you is, why aren't you a Christian? Why are you interested in a girl who is? Maybe it's more than just how she looks to you. Maybe you you sense a peace about her. You you, you sense there's a joy that she has that you're missing. But let's not turn this into a sort of an offline dating thing. Um, If she's in a good church, for parents, understand the word. uh, If this girl knows her Bible, she'll say no. Because I'm not dating anybody who doesn't love my Jesus. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but Anonymous, I want you to think about something for a moment. What if she went out with you and fell in love with you? You fell in love with her. I mean, that can happen. We can fall in love with lots of different people. And let's just say you asked her to marry you. She would have to contemplate this. Why would I marry someone who I'm not going to be able to spend forever with? So if you want to date this girl, Make sure your motors are right and get saved. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions are toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'd like to finish the week with some phone calls. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes.
1: to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
2: we are back welcome to the second half of the program 340-9585 you've got about 30 minutes left to call and ask any questions burning in your heart here is a good one from william i'm a teenager And want to know how a teen like me can talk to his peers about homosexuality since it is so completely accepted. William, um, let let me just say this. You have to talk about it. You will not be popular. Um, Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. He didn't say you'd feel blessed. He just said you would be blessed, at least from heaven's perspective. But we've got to talk to people about it. You know... A lot of young men like you, William, and and young women too, are placed in public schools and around peers uh, because God needs a voice. God wants a voice there too. And just like we adults, we go to work and hopefully we're sharing our faith in Jesus Christ. Um, You should be sharing your faith in Jesus Christ. You should be giving the, the people that matter to you, the people closest to you, uh, the, the, the hope, the only hope there is for life. Again, it may cost you friends. It may cost you public standing. You may be ridiculed. You may be physically accosted. But you can hear your heart here. You've got to tell people. And the way I usually do it when I'm talking about these things, and I get asked all the time, do you really believe that? And I'll just say, look, I care so much about you. I want you to go to heaven. And you may get angry at me for what I'm about to say, but heaven is the goal. And so I've got to tell you the truth. God loves you. He wants to forgive you of your sins. So well, you know, I think the way we really talk to them is not so much about homosexuality as it is about the answer for their sin. Now, they're going to bring up homosexuality, other social issues. That's okay. You can You can handle it but never apologize for what God said is right and what God said is wrong. Just declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. If somebody that you're speaking to is living a homosexual lifestyle, you can tell them, look, the Bible says that people who live like this won't inherit the kingdom of God. And I want you in heaven, so here's the answer. God has provided an answer. He's provided forgiveness of sin." Let me again say this, William, you've got to tell them. You've got to tell them, because their eternity hangs in the balance. I wish I could say that when we share with people that we're not going to be looked at like we're crazy, like we have lost our mind, but the truth is we really, really and truly need to be willing to declare, even at the cost of friends and personal popularity. Here is an anonymous question that came in. It says, I am a new believer. Oh, by the way, William, bless your heart for wanting to share. The anonymous question says, Pastor I'm a new believer in Jesus, and I'm having dreams that are telling me to become a Catholic. Could I have your thoughts, please? Um, anonymous, there's all kinds of, of sources for dreams. God speaks to us in dreams sometimes. Uh, I'm not a a big dream person. Paula gets more dreams that are from the Lord than I do. Uh, When I get uh, dreams from the Lord, they're sort of warnings, you know. Um, But I have lots of dreams, nightmares, uh, that are from the enemy. And so the fact that you're now a new believer, the enemy's going to ratchet up his spiritual warfare. And I can just tell you, point blank, that God would never tell you to become a Catholic so this is an enemy discern the source of the message and that will help you embrace or reject the message based on its source now how do I know that people always say you're so arrogant how do you know that God's not telling him to become a Catholic because that contradicts what the Bible tells us now there's no verse that says don't become a Catholic but the verse lays or the Bible lays out for us the doctrine of the apostles and Anonymous, the doctrine of the Catholic Church is so far away, so far removed from the Apostles' Doctrine. In Acts chapter 2 and beyond, Um, the, the, the early church said they clung to fellowship, they clung to prayer, they clung to the Apostles' Doctrine. And we can find that doctrine because God has preserved it for us in His Word. And because He's done that, then we don't have to worry about anything that would contradict that. Is it possible to take the Eucharist as a Holy Spirit-filled Christian when you know the Eucharist is the bloodless sacrifice of Christ over and over again? That's what the Catholic Catechism teaches. The Bible says that Christ was once and for all delivered for the saints. This is a faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And that's just one. Uh, just the doctrines are so far removed from biblical doctrines. Now, I, I want to say, as I always do when I get questions about Catholics, there are some born-again Catholics in the Church, just not very many. Religion is never the way to God. Jesus is. And even though most Catholics believe in Jesus, they don't really know who he is. So it is impossible that God would ever be telling you in a dream to become Catholic. I have a phone call? Hold on here. I'm being told I have a message. Here's a, give me a question that just came in from our mobile app. Uh, From Jill in Luke 11, 24 through 26, what is swept and put clean, uh, swept clean and put in order really means. Let me read it. Uh, I just taught this, Jill, um, I think last Sunday or the Sunday before. Uh, It says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through in places, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. In the final condition, that person is worse than the first. Jill, what he's talking about, when and in, in demon, uh, uh, casting demons out was a very common issue. The Jewish uh, exorcists made a great living uh, supposedly casting out demons. Now, we know they had no power over demons because they weren't believers. When Jesus cast them out, They were gone. They never argued with him. So what he's talking about here in the context of dealing with demon possession is if a demon is cast out of a person, um, that demon goes through the air looking for some place to rest, returns back to the original host, the person, and if he finds that house uninhabited by a greater spirit, now you remember Jesus talks about the strong man, meaning the devil in that story, and, and, and when someone stronger comes along, meaning Jesus, the Holy Spirit. So if a demon comes out of a person and can't find a place, then it comes back to that person that it was cast out of and finds that that body is unoccupied by the Holy Spirit. Then he comes in, not only does the spirit return, but he brings seven spirits more wicked than himself. Now, you remember Mary Magdalene was, was uh, inhabited by seven demons. And the whole lesson there, and and I again, I just taught on this last week, um, was uh, very simply: um, if you're going to cast a demon out, don't do it unless the person is willing to receive Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we're contributing to things being worse. I've actually been in that situation, Jill, where in time where uh, I was encountering a demon possessed person. And, um, um, you know, the demons lie and they scream and they make horrible noises, but but God will always in a situation like that also let you talk to the person involved. And so this, this woman's name was Judy, an uh, old woman in a, in a nursing home, but she had at times supernatural strength. Uh, she, she could make the, the hallways look like a, a car racetrack in her wheelchair. She's making these noises. And uh, at this particular time, uh, I, I, I talked straight to Judy, not to the demon. The demon had spoken before. But, uh, Judy, are you ready to receive Jesus Christ? I can cast this demon out. You can be at peace today. But, but unless you're willing to receive Jesus Christ, I'm not going to do it because things will then only get worse. And you should have seen, Jill, the look on her face. You should have seen the the almost the, the the struggle that was going on inside her and finally she just turned around and sped off in her wheelchair uh and and so I didn't cast the demon out but that's what it means thank you for the question uh by the way uh our uh teachings on on um, um Luke are on our website and they are for free so um, it has the verses, I'm not sure it was this week or the week before on that particular one. Two weeks ago, uh, my producer's telling me. Thanks for the question, Jill. Let's go to San Antonio, Texas and talk with James on line one. James, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh,
1: yes, hey, and thank you very much. Um, I'm mm-hmm. parked out on 35, and I had a, a question in Matthew 7. Uh, right after verse 15, they talked about watching out for false prophets. But then when they get to 21... They talked a little bit more about uh, true and false disciples, uh, you know, where they say, N- not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more? Because, uh, I mean, verse 22 uh, sounds to me like these are people who are are trying to do the work of God and driving out demons and in his name and performing many miracles. Um, it's one of those verses that always kind of confuses me a little bit, and uh, I'll I'll just uh, get off the phone and, and listen to you if you would try and explain that to me.
2: Thank you. I can do it. James. I can do it. Thank you very very much. You know, not only is it confusing to a lot of people, but it's a verse that scares a lot of people. Uh, you know, no, none of us want to get to heaven and find out that we we're we're one of those that say, "Lord, Lord," and Jesus, "Hey, I never knew you." It's really important the context here. Now, we have to remember, as we read Jesus um, in the Gospel accounts, uh, this is the back end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is surrounded not only by regular people who are hanging on every word that he says, but remember there's always these religious leaders, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're always around, and this is early in Jesus' ministry, and they're looking on disapprovingly. They're, they're not out there to hear what he has to say, uh, as was the case when they went out to hear John the Baptist. They're there because this message is threatening their existence. And so what Jesus says to the people, now remember, he's talking all to all the people in the audience, but he looks sort of over the, the, the religious leaders and talks to the people, and he tells them, As you pointed out, watch out for false prophets come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous or ferocious wolves. And then Jesus says, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. And then he gives examples of that. And then when he gets to verse 21 and says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father is in heaven. That is, James, a direct indictment of those religious leaders. In that verse he's identifying them as the false prophets that he warned about in verse 15 so this isn't you and me that he's talking to now remember these religious leaders look like godly men they've been thought of as godly men they're the people that others go to for spiritual advice and and Jesus said you know all they are really is false prophets and ferocious wolves they're trying to devour me and then I think when he gets to verse 21 as he's speaking I think he looks right back at the religious leaders and says not everyone who says to me Lord Lord now the religious leaders claim to do miracles they claim to have an anointing from God they claimed to be men who by virtue of people acknowledging their leadership and giving to them they were being enriched by the offerings of the people um, everybody would have thought, nah, they're the most religious men in the world. Remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, he's Israel's teacher, he's the guy that had all the answers. Jesus said, except you be born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Well, here's what he's saying. He's saying that on the day of judgment, you're going to stand before me, and you to say, well, I thought I was serving. You remember the apostle Paul? Paul said he was zealous, but his zeal had no knowledge. And so the idea here, James is that there's a lot of people going to stand before the Lord on that day knowing who he is but never having surrendered their hearts to him the fact that he said "Do we not prophesy they claim to be prophets they claim to drive out demons and they claim to perform miracles but verse 23 says Jesus says I will tell them plainly I never knew you away from me you evildoers The idea there is very simply that the issue in heaven isn't do we know about Jesus. The issue in heaven is does Jesus know us? And because he knows our hearts, there's no fooling him. You know, these religious leaders, James, could fool the the people. They could fool one another. But they could never fool God. They never had a heart for God. That same thing, by the way, is true of false teachers today. They will claim to do miracles. They'll claim to have healing services. They get rich on the backs of the people of God. And the day of judgment, they will stand before the Lord and they'll say, Lord, where are my my crowns? I did miracles. I cast out demons. I spoke in tongues. Jesus will shake his head and say, depart from me, you doer of iniquity, for I never knew you. So you have to really hold on to the Jewish context. This isn't Jesus speaking to his church. This is Jesus speaking to those false religious leaders in, in Jerusalem. By the way, it's very early in his ministry, I told you that, but this is when they started plotting his murder. And for three years, from this point forward, they would follow Jesus, trying to trap him and catch him in a lie. 340-9585, Jeffrey wants to know, what do you think is the most important thing a parent can do to help navigate the crazy world their children are inheriting. Jeffrey, this is the easiest question I ever get. The most important thing you can do is to love Jesus with all of your heart and to serve him with passion, to be zealous for your faith, not to fall into compromise. Be a man that your children can look at and say, my dad loves Jesus and I can see it. Because that's the only way they're going to know how valuable Jesus really is. If Jesus, your Jesus, isn't valuable enough to them to stand up for, to walk consistently with, how are they going to know that if you don't walk with the Lord? If you're married to their mother, Cherish her, treat her like the gift from God that she is. You show your children that your Jesus is a source of peace and joy. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and let the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. Let those be the, the, the characteristics of the life your children see. And they're going to know your Jesus is worth having. On the other hand, you can take them to church. You can do devotions. But if you're not living what you teach, boy, kids are great hypocrite sniffers. So make sure that your life is oozing the fruit of the Spirit. That is by far the most important thing. Yeah, you're going to make sure they go to church. Kids should not have, by the way, a decision about whether or not they go to church you shouldn't have your kids playing sports on Sundays in lieu of church. If you do, and who, I mean that happens all the time in our world, you're telling your children that their sports are more important than their walk with Jesus. Live a grateful life. I mean, do those things, but the most important thing is your personal relationship with Jesus has to be thriving in such a way that your kids not only see it, but they benefit from it. Hope that makes sense to you. Lane wants to know, what books would you suggest on the reliability of the New Testament manuscripts? Uh, There's so much out there, Lane. There's just a couple that... um, I suggest very strongly, and I don't think you really need beyond what these are. There's a book that Josh McDowell wrote, uh, the newer version, is it's called The New uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and there is so much uh, information, it's a very scholarly work, uh, but there's so much information uh, there about how we got the canon of scripture, the reliability of the manuscripts, and the, the, the overwhelming proof of, of the manuscripts that we have. Uh, so Josh McDowell, the new evidence that demands a verdict. And then the other one is uh, um, just a, a paperback written by uh, my favorite commentator of all time. His name is F.F. F. Bruce. The initials, F.F. Bruce. Uh, and it's just called uh, The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable? Um, everything you can get your hands on by F.F. F. Bruce is good. So um, that's what I would suggest, those two. Uh, If you want something smaller to start out with, uh, there's a man named Paul Little, L-Y-T, I think two T's, Um, T-T-L-E. And he has two little paperbacks, um, um, Know What We Believe and Know Why We Believe. And those are great, great books. One other one I'll suggest is um, um, The Evidence for the Bible, um, I'm having a brain fade moment. I can't remember the author's name right now. We, we, there's a movie about him, and I know his name as well as I know my own. But uh, just look up the the, um, the evidence or evidence for the Bible. And uh, Lee Strobel is his name. Gosh, I can't believe I that name's uh, skipping for by Lee Strobel. Uh, it, it it also is a really really good resource. So, Lane, I hope that helps. You will really enjoy FF Bruce. So dig in. Uh, Elise wants to know, do you have to be baptized by a pastor for it to count? Uh, Elise, no. Now, that's normally the way it happens Um, in churches. People get saved and they get baptized. Uh, But no, you don't. Can can I tell you a quick story, Elise? Um, When I got saved, you know, my wife prayed for me for 13 years. Um, She is the reason that I'm going to heaven. I mean, God loves me and all of that, but I mean, in, in from a human perspective, uh, she hung in there, and I tried to make her life miserable. I couldn't steal her joy. When I got saved, I cried out for Paul as Jesus. I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know um, much about God at all. Um, I knew he was real for her, and I cried out, Paul is Jesus, if you're real, I need you. And he came flooding in. Uh, I was baptized um, a couple of weeks after that and um, I very very strongly felt led by the Lord to ask Paula to do it so we went to a gym that had an outdoor pool and uh, um, with a bunch of people looking on she baptized me and she was floored she said well, what if I do it wrong you can't do it wrong just baptize me there's nobody better on this earth who should be baptizing me than you so uh, I was publicly baptized. Paul is the one that did it, so no, you don't have to be baptized by a pastor for it to count. I think I don't know how the, what the water temperature is up on the on the uh, women's retreat. Uh, we men have ours in September, so the water is always really, really warm. But I'm certain there will be some ladies who get saved and get baptized uh, at the women's retreat this weekend. So again, keep them in prayer. Thank you, Elise. Good question. Um, two minutes. Let me see if I got enough time for this question. I think I'll keep this one till Monday because it could take me a while. Uh, James wants to know, what are your thoughts on Stephen Furtick? Um They're not positive. I I, I hope he's a believer. Um, um, uh, you know, I want him to be in heaven, but uh, he's a pastor of Elevation Church. He is a Sort of a name-it-and-claim-it guy. Um, um, just basically, James' his message is what people want to hear. Make some promises that uh, he can't follow through on. Uh, I, I, I don't have a lot um, of, of positive things to say about Stephen Furtick. He was a young guy who was hip and cool at the time. He's now starting to get a little bit older. Uh, his church is huge. Um uh, but, uh, but again, I, I just don't think it's a healthy, well-balanced church uh, at all. So stay away from Stephen Furtick and his teachings. What are we, time? Oh, we're under one minute, don't have time for another one. Okay, let me remind you again to turn your clocks forward tomorrow and get ready for um, Daylight Savings Time. Uh, that means you don't want to be late for church, so are uh, early for church, so show up here at Calvary Chapel. We're going to be having our pancake breakfast as we do uh, twice a year. Uh, when you go to church, find somebody who looks like they're hurting, somebody who needs to be loved on, and share your heart with them. Open your arms and let them know how much the Lord loves them. It will change your life and theirs. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back Monday on AM 630 The Word. See you then.